Chapter 17 of The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume 2, by Robert Paltek. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17 The festival being over, the Colams begged leave to depart, but the king, who now did nothing without me, consulted me if it was yet proper. I told him, as things had so long been in confusion in the West, that though the provinces had made their submission, yet the necessity of their circumstances and the general terror might have caused them only to dissemble till their affairs were composed again, and that, as it was more than probable, some relations of the deceased Harlequin or other popular person might engage them in another revolt, I thought it would not be improper to advise with his colams about the establishment of the present tranquillity, and not by too great a security, give way to future commotions. And, as all the colams were then present, it might be proper to summon them once more. When they were met, the king declared the more particular satisfaction he took in that meeting than he had heretofore done, when they had been put to it for means to secure their lives and properties. For now, says he, our deliberations must turn upon securing our new acquisitions, and on settling those provinces which, till now, have never fallen under my power. But, says he, I shall refer it to Peter to propose to you what at present seems most necessary for you to consider of, and that adjusted shall dismiss you. I told them, as the too sudden healing of wounds in the body natural, before the bottom was clean and uncorrupt, made them liable to break out again with greater malignity, so wounds in the body political, if skinned over only, without probing and cleansing the source and spring from whence they arose, would rankle and fret within till a proper opportunity, and then burst forth again with redoubled violence." I would therefore propose a visitation of the several provinces, an inquiry into their conduct, an examination into the lives and principles of the colams, the inferior officers and magistrates, and either to retain the old or appoint new as there should be occasion. This visitation I would have performed by His Majesty, and so many of you, the honorable Colams, says I, as he shall see fit should attend him in royal state, that his new subjects may see his majesty and hear his most gracious words, and being sensible of his good disposition towards them, may be won by his equity and justice to a zealous submission to his government, which nothing but the perception of their own senses can establish in the heart." This, I don't doubt, will answer the end I propose, and consolidate the peace and happiness of Nam's norms, I must say, Dorpt Swangianti. Hearing me hesitate at the word Normbensgrut, and calling it Dorpt Swangianti, the whole assembly rang with Dorpt Swangianti, and at last came to a resolution that the West, being now again united with the East, the whole dominions should be called Sass Dorpt Swangianti, or the Great Flight Land. 
They approved the visitation and all offered to go with the king, but insisted I should be of the party, which, agreeing to do, I chose me out two of the most knowing ragans to teach the new religion amongst them, for in every project I had my view to advance religion. Some were for having the deputies released and dispatched with notice of the king's intentions, but I objecting that they might disrelish their confinement and possibly raise reports prejudicial to our proceedings, it was thought better to take them with us and go ourselves as soon as possible. We set out with a prodigious retinue, first to the right in order to sweep round the whole country and take all the towns in our way, and occasionally enter the middle parts, as the towns lay commodious. We were met by the magistrates and chief officers of each district, at some distance from each city, with strings about their necks, and the crashy instrument borne before them in much humility. His majesty said but little to them on the way, but ordered them to precede him to the city and conduct him to the Colam's house, when he was commanded to surrender his employment to his majesty, as did all the other officers who held posts under him. Then an examination was taken of their lives, characters, and behavior in their stations, and finding most of them had behaved well to the government they had lived under, for their plea was they had found things under a usurpation, and being so, that government was natural to them, having singly no power to alter it. Upon their perfect submission to the king and solemn engagement to advance and maintain his right, they received their commissions anew from his majesty's own mouth. But where any one had been cruel or oppressive to the subjects or committed any notorious crime or breach of trust, for the meanest persons had liberty to complain, he was rejected and for the most part sent to Kreisdorp to prevent the ill effects of his disgrace. We, having displaced but five colams and a few inferior officers, the moderation and justice of our proceedings gave the utmost satisfaction both to the magistrates and the people. Having observed at Brandelgorp abundance of the small images my wife had spoken of, and thinking this a proper opportunity to show my resentment against them, I ordered several of the ragans of the West before me, and asked what small images they had amongst them. One who spoke for the rest told me very few, he believed, for he had scarce had any brought to him to be blessed. Where, says I, is your great image? He told me, at York, and have not the people here many small ones? Very few, says he, for they have not been forced upon us long. How forced upon you, says I, don't the people worship them? A small number now do, says he, pray speak out, says I, when might you not worship them? Never that I know of, says he, in our state till about ten years ago, when Harlequin obliged us to it. What? Did you worship them before, says I? No, says he, never since it has been a separate kingdom, for we would follow the old ragans' advice of worshiping Kalwar, which they, not admitting of, the state was divided between us who would and them who would not come into the ragans' doctrine. And though Harlequin was a zealous image worshiper, yet all he could do would not bring the people heartily into it, for Kalwar never wanted a greater majority. 
This pleased me prodigiously, being what was never hinted to me before, and I resolved not to let my scheme be a loser by it. As we were to visit York in about eight days, I summoned the Ragans and people to meet at the Moosh, there recounting the great things done by Kalwar in all nations. This I could make appear, says I, by many examples, but as you have one even at your own towns, I need go no farther. I must begin in ancient times when, I presume, you all worshipped an idol. Have you any tradition before this? They said, no. This image, says I, was worshipped in Begzerbeck's days, when an old ragan whose mind Kalwar had enlightened with the truth would have withdrawn your reverence from the image to the original Kalwar himself. You would not consent. He threatens you, but promises success to Begzerbeck, who did consent, and he had it to an old age." Then those who would also consent were so far encouraged as to be able to form an independent kingdom. Could nobody yet see the cause? Was it not apparent that Kalwar was angry with the East that would not follow the old Ragan and cherished the West who would? But, to be short, let us apply the present instance, and sure it will convince us who is right, who wrong." So long as the West followed Kalwar, they flourished, and the East declined. But no sooner had the West degenerated under the command of Harlequin, and the East by my means had embraced Kalwar, but the tables were turned. The East is found weighty, and the West kicks the beam. These things whoso sees not is blind indeed." Therefore, let publication be made for the destruction of all small images, and let the harborers of them, contrary to this order, be slit, and for myself I will destroy this mother monster. Take you, holy ragans, care to destroy the brood. And having said this, I hacked the new idol to pieces. I ordered proclamation for abolishing slavery under the restrictions used at Brandelgorp, and thus, having composed the West and given a general satisfaction, we returned, almost the whole West accompanying us, till the East received us, and never was so happy a union, or more present to testify it since the creation, I believe." I ordered several of the principal's men's sons to court in order for employments and to furnish our future colams, and this I did as knowing each country would rather approve of a member of their own body for their head than a stranger, and, in my opinion, it is the most natural union." and then breeding them under the eye of the king eight or ten years or more, they are, as it were, naturalized to him too, and in better capacity to serve both king and country. As my head was constantly at work for the good of this people, I turned the most trifling incidents into some use or other, and made the narrowest prospects extend to the vastest distances. I shall hear instance in one only— there was at York a private man's son, whom by mere accident I happened to ask some slight question of, and he giving me with a profound respect and graceful assurance a most pertinent answer, that, 
and the manner of its delivery gave me a pleasure, which upon farther discourse with him was, contrary to custom, very much increased, for I found in him an extensive genius and a desire for my conversation. I desired his father to put him under my care, which the old man, as I was then in so great repute, readily agreed to, and his son desiring nothing more, I took him with me to Brandlegorp. I soon procured him a pretty post, of but small duty, for I had purposed other employment for him, but of sufficient significancy to procure him respect. I took great delight in talking with him on different subjects, and observed by his questions upon them, which often puzzled me, or his answers to them, he had a most pregnant fancy and surprising solidity, joined to a continual and unwearied application. I frequently mentioned books, writing, and letters to him, and telling him what great things might be attained that way. His inquisitive temper and the schemes he had formed thereon put me upon thinking of several things I should never have hit upon without him. I considered all the ways I could contrive to teach him letters, and letting him into my design, he asked me how I did to make a letter." I described a pen to him, and told him I put a black liquor into it, and as I drew that along upon a flat white thing we made use of, called paper, it would make marks which way ever I drew, into what shape I pleased. Why then, says he, anything that will make a mark upon another thing as I please will do? True, says I, but what shall we get that will make a black mark? We were entering further into this debate, but the king sending for me, I left him unsatisfied. I stayed late with the king that night, so did not see last meal, for that was his name, till next night, wondering what was become of him. I asked him then where he had been all the day. He told me he had been looking for a pen and paper. I laughed and asked him if he had found them. Yes, says he, or something that will do as well. So he opened one side of his grundy and showed me a large flat leaf, smooth and pulpy, very long and wide, and about a quarter of an inch thick, almost like an Indian fig leaf. And what am I to do with this, says I, to mark it, says he, and see where you mark. With what, says I, with this, says he, putting his hand again into his grundy and taking out three or four strong, sharp prickles. I looked at them both and clapped him on the head. Last meal, says I, if you and I were in England, you should be made a privy counselor. What, won't it do then, says he? I told him we would try. I thought, says he, it would have done very well, for I marked one all about, and though I could not see much at first, by that time I had made an end, that I did first was quite of a different color from the leaf, and I could see it as plain as could be. I told him, as he was of an age to comprehend what I meant, I would take another method with him than with a child. So I reasoned from sentences backwards to words, and from them to syllables, and so on to letters. I then made one, a vowel, A, told him its sound, and added a consonant to it, and told him that part of the sound of each distinct letter put together, as the two letters themselves were, made another sound, which I called a syllable, 
and that joining two or more of them together made a word. By putting the same letters together as made the sounds of those syllables which made that word, then setting him a copy of letters with which very little difficulty were to be drawn upon the leaf and telling him their sounds, I left him to himself, and when he had done, though I named them but twice over, his memory was so strong as to retain the sounds, as he called them, of every one but F, L, and Q. In two months' time, I made him master of anything I wrote to him, and as he delighted in it, he wrote a great deal himself, so that we kept an epistolary correspondence, and he would set down all the common occurrences of the day, as what he heard and saw, with his remarks on diverse things. One day, as the king and I were walking in the gardens and talking of the customs of my country and about our wars, telling him how our soldiers fought on horseback, the king could not conceive what I meant by a horse. I told him my wife had said there were neither beasts nor fishes in the country, which I was very much surprised at, considering how we abounded with both. And therefore, says I, to tell your majesty that a horse is a creature with four legs, you must naturally believe it to be somewhat like a man with four legs. Why, truly, says he, I believe it is. But has it the Grundee? I could not forbear smiling, even at his majesty, and wanted to find some similitude to compare it to, to carry the king's mind that way. For else he would sooner, I thought, conceive it like a tree or a mountain than what it really was. And as I was musing, it came into my head, I had given Lasmiel a small print of a horse, which I found in one of the captain's pockets at Grand Volet, and, believing it to be the stamp of a tobacco paper, had kept it to please the children with. So I told the king I believed I could show him the figure of a horse. He told me it would much oblige him." Seeing several of the guards waiting at the garden arch, I looked and at last found one of Lasmiel's leaves in the garden, and cutting one of them up with my knife, I took the point of that and wrote to Lasmiel to send me by the bearer the picture of a horse I gave him, that I might show it the king. And calling one of the guards, Carry that to Lasmiel, says I, he is, I believe, in my apartment, and bring me an answer directly. Then, falling into discourse again with the king, and presently turning at the end of the walk, I saw the same guard again. Says I, you cannot have brought me an answer already. You have not told me, says he, what to bring you an answer to. Nor shall I, says I, do as you are bid, for I perceived then what the fellow stuck at. He walked off with the leaf, but very discontentedly. The king said he wondered how I could act such a contradiction. This, father, says he, is not what I expected from you, to order a man to bring an answer without giving him a message. I desired his patience only till the man came back. Presently, says the king, here he comes. Well, says he, what answer? Sir, says the fellow, I have only had the walk for my pains, for he sent it back again and a little white thing with it. Ha-ha, says the king. I thought so. Come, father, own you have once been in the wrong, for I am sure you intended to give him a message, but having forgot it, would not submit to be told of your mistake by a guard. 
I looked very grave, reading what Lasmiel had wrote, which was to tell me he had obeyed my orders by sending the horse, for he was just then drawing it out upon a leaf. Come, come, says the king, give the man his message, father, and let him go again. Sir, says I, there is no need of that. He has punctually obeyed me, and Lasmiel was then at the table in my oval chamber with a leaf and this picture in my hand before him. The king was ready to sink when I said so, and showed the print. Truly, father, says he, I have been to blame to question you, for though these things are above my comprehension, I am not to think anything beyond your skill. I made no reply to it, but showing the king the picture, the guard sneaked off, and glad he was, I believe, he could do so. I went then upon the explanation of my horse, and answering fifty questions about him, at last he asked what his inside was. Exactly the same as your majesty's, said I, and he can eat and breathe too, says he, just as you can, says I. Well, says he, I would never have believed there had been such a creature. What would I give for one of them? I set forth the diverse other uses we put them to, besides the wars, and by the picture, with some supposed alterations, I described a cow, a sheep, and numberless other quadrupeds, my account of which gave him great pleasure. End of chapter 17